0: Good afternoon, uh, wherever you are. Welcome to this Cornwall Insight podcast. My name is
1: Tom Edwards and
0: I'm a senior modeler and I'm joined by my colleague,
1: uh, Robert. Good morning, good afternoon, Tom. My name is Robert Buckley. I'm Head of Relationship Development at Cornwall Insight.
0: And. We are hopefully going to have an interesting discussion about interventions in the wholesale and retail markets that might be able to help alleviate some of the concerns around the cost of living crisis and rising wholesale prices this winter, which are a significant concern. Lots of people talking about how to intervene in the kind of energy sector. And there's been lots of different theories put forward, lots of policies that uh, different political actors have put forward, or also industry players. And we're wants to talk about what we think some of the implications of these might be how implementable they could be because there's significant distress in the european wholesale energy market so i think yesterday winter 23 gb gas prices were getting close to six pounds of therm i think winter 22 German prices are getting up to like 500 euros a megawatt hour. So there's a significant crisis going on in the European energy market. And that is going to have to be paid for by consumers at some point. And there has to be some method of doing that because there's going to be significant impacts on the whole of the economy because of this. So not only are consumers worried about their bills, but you could also imagine that businesses, especially around October, they start renegotiating their energy contracts with their suppliers. So it's it's going to be a painful time for the economy and it's therefore right that this is being investigated.
1: Any thoughts, Robert? Very much so, Tom. It's a, the distress is, is acute on the consumer side all across Western Europe. Our focus today is particularly on Great Britain, but I'd say it is households and businesses. We We've said a lot about the potential for very high costs in the winter and the winter beyond, In our default tariff cap forecast but there's also a a significant very substantial cost spike for businesses that is if not here already imminent
0: so we issue a forecast of the default tariff cap
1: why why do we do that robert and what is the default tariff cap the default tariff cap is the mechanism that offgem has to use to set the highest price that suppliers can charge for what is known as their default products. These are the tariffs that you end up with if you don't actively switch away. Uh, We've had the cap in one form or another now for for five years or so, and it's rather moved on in terms of what it's doing from what it was was designed for. It was designed after uh, an investigation by the Competition and Markets Authority to essentially limit the perceived excess profits that the larger suppliers were earning from their sticky customers, that, that is those that didn't switch. We left a competitive fixed tariff market and we introduced a default tariff cap uh, above that level. What has happened really since the spring of 2021 is that the surge in wholesale prices has been so great that the default tariff cap has effectively become the cheapest tariff uh, pretty much all of the time. Uh, for all domestic consumers, so most consumers have gradually, uh, if they weren't on the on the default tariff already, have gradually been falling into it as their old fixes have expired, and of course that the cap rate has increased markedly from uh, around a thousand pounds in twenty nineteen twenty through to two thousand pounds a year equivalent as it will be until the end of next month, that's, that's September, and then potentially shifting uh, onto a quarterly basis going to around £3,500 a year equivalent for a typical household the three months from October, and then some way above 4000 potentially, uh, really right the way through to the summer of 2023, and, and maybe even beyond that, depending on where the wholesale market goes. Um, so, we've been issuing these forecasts for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we have uh, the opportunity to you know utilize the information that we get from our research that goes into our subscription services to our our customers across the industry on non commodity on policy and network costs and we th- We think combining that with you know wholesale market prices gives a number for the cap, which is useful for consumers to give them an idea of where their where their bills are going so so that's kind of reason one to kind of flag up the broad direction of the cap for the domestic consumer. And, and secondly, and perhaps more urgently, as the, as the cap forecasts have raced ever higher, is to try and, and make sure that those that have the power to maybe to do something about the level of the cap however you know the best information that we've got are on where the cap's going they can you know then decide whether or not to intervene or what or how to intervene as as we'll pick up shortly but those are our our motivations really for, for doing it it's about getting better information out into into the market
0: so the cap was introduced because competition was imperfect so what extent is the that we're concerned about now, an, an artifact of the retail market, because the retail market isn't working, or is it because factors outside the retail market are driving the prices up? Is it purely a wholesale market
1: issue? It, it really, really, it, it it is. I mean, the extremes of the problem are because the wholesale market, as as you were saying, Tom, has has gone up by a factor of ten. With with the kind of numbers that that you were were quoting for winter GB gas and and winter uh, German power and and any pricing mechanism would struggle to to cope with that the the fact that we've created this default tap tariff mechanism which is shorthand now for the the price for really all uh, domestic consumers uh, has 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 really forced the cap into a position. It, to which it was never really meant to be it, w- it was it was meant to be a, a, a safety net primarily for those that struggle to engage with the market and now it's it's become a, a catch-all for all domestic consumers
0: one of the big kind of success stories of the last 10 years has been the amount of renewable generation coming onto the system and if the wholesale market price has gone so high you know if, if we're using so much renewable electricity why is the price still gas
1: Related. Why? Why are gas and power so closely linked? Why is this a crisis of um, price? Yeah, it's 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 a crisis of market design. And 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 I know in a little bit you're gonna you're gonna talk about options for change in in a, maybe in a, in a little bit more detail. But the wholesale market design that we have at the moment uh, for the electricity system really reflects the the fact that gas is the is the marginal generation fuel. It's you know the significant minority of generation coming onto the British power system is is generated from gas and, and most importantly the, you know the, the marginal unit the you know the one that we need to keep the lights on will probably come from gas uh, particularly at times when when demand is high so gas has become uh, well gas has become gas has really been since uh, the um, 1990s it's been the primary driver of the wholesale electricity price uh, not just here but but also th- throughout uh, Western Europe gradually increasing its importance over time as the share of gas in generation mixes has increased over time. Um, so a gas price crisis has become a power price crisis. Um, and obviously with with people needing both fuels to light and heat their homes, uh, the, the effect has been compounded. So we've focused a lot on
0: domestic consumers, but what's the situation for commercial and industrial users, are they protected to the same extent? What are the pressures facing?
1: No, 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 no they're not. And, and there are, there are so a couple of important distinctions here. Firstly, the, the cap does not apply to commercial uh, and industrial users. And secondly, a point that perhaps isn't as appreciated is that in the business market, there is no obligation for a supplier to provide a contract to a consuming business uh, that doesn't mean that the supplier will shut down the supply to the business it means that the supplier will provide another set of terms out of contract terms uh, to the business on the basis that it's it doesn't want to provide it is too risky to provide that entity with a commercial contract one that's related to market prices so the the out-of-contract prices will tend to be uh, extremely high uh, and, and above the market, uh, and with the market ex- itself extremely high. This is a this is a significant issue that, that that is happening for many businesses just now. As you said earlier, Tom, we're coming to the conclusion of the crucial October renewal round, and many businesses are finding that they can't get offers uh, for supply from suppliers so their contracts will expire and they will go to either uh, to out of contract terms or very short term contracts so they will have substantial exposure to uh, spot energy prices as we go into the winter so in many ways the situation for commercial and industrial users is is worse for the, than it is for uh, domestics if uh, as i said if we believe that the default tariff cap provides a measure of protection for those consumers.
0: And we've already had businesses either announce closures or difficulties. So, for example, yes. I think CF Industries, and the yeah. fertilizer producers who were propped up last year have decided to close. You've got the Lowry, I think, were in the newspapers today saying that their expected electricity oil is more than their grant Yeah, uh, on its own. So, yeah, I think that yes. that's a key... Key it, it, it indicator
1: is, of what the winter will be like. It, it is a key indicator. There's there's been uh, a, a lot of things beginning to come through in the media, which which is a, a, a good thing. We've we've seen reports of schools maybe going to three days a week because of rises in the costs of energy, uh, and you, you, we are seeing reports literally of businesses facing cost increases of five, six, seven times of of what they've previously been paying. And, and, and that's a huge shock for even the most well-run uh, operations to uh, absorb. And, and it, it, within the public sector, where the budgeting process is very different, these, the, the, these are just events that aren't in the script and, and can't be handled, as you've as you've said with the uh, the Lowry uh, uh, grant. So we're really, I think, Tom, painting quite a a. A bleak picture for the consumer side of, of, of the market. Um, it's interesting to contrast what has been happening in some of the European economies uh, around kind of voluntary energy reductions. We've, we, we've particularly Germany and, and, and Spain, but there are other examples where businesses are being exhorted to use less. We've not really seen that here. at at this point in time.
0: Now, it is odd that we haven't seen the same level of intervention because, um, I mean, crucially, you're you're seeing what kind of the designers of the market thought would happen, is that if prices went up, people would use less and that would help moderate the price. But The problem being is that prices have gone up so high that you're kind of running into the problem you don't want to see, which is essential use being affected and um, because you know if you can't if you have to shut down a school for 2 days that's a serious economic effect yeah electricity Absolutely. gas heating lighting are those kind of essential services that you that you need to have in, in the background your your value of lost load you know the price that you are willing to pay to keep that essential service on is actually really quite high and and the damage that is done therefore when that is not available is also quite high
1: it is, it is a huge social impact from disruption in energy supply that we've not really begun to to take in. Really, I, I think there's to to some extent it, it mirrors what we saw with uh, with the lockdowns with COVID, where we we restrict social interactions and opportunities for for people to to you know go out, go out and and, and develop. Uh, we we may find that we. Uh, effectively have lockdowns by an, another means if if you know, business and and education, uh, hospitality, leisure is is not able to keep going as well as the direct loss of income to the people employed within those sectors who then of course have to go back home and pay energy bills at uh, you know, very 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 high levels.
0: So we've been tracking a lot of the interventions that have been made by um, political parties industry, players, academics about what could be done to help alleviate the the cost of living crisis this winter. So um, what are the kind of retail focused changes that uh, people have
1: proposed so far? The first one is the uh, direct bill rebate as proposed by the chancellor twice this year in in, uh, January. Uh, and and May time. Um, The second one is cutting VAT. Uh, VAT, of course, is levied at 5% uh, on uh, domestic energy bills. Uh, The third one is waiving or cancelling uh, the costs. I, I think some people like to call them the green levies, also the costs for, we're not quite sure what what they mean, but uh, probably as a minimum, the costs of the renewables obligation and the feed-in tariff, uh, and maybe the costs of the energy company uh, obligation and the warm homes discount. Of course, um, these costs could be paid another way. Uh, In fact, we probably suggest that a government would want to keep doing that because uh, the uh, the the shock to the uh, investor side of the system from just not, not paying them would would be quite significant so that's number 3 number 4 is a tariff deficit mechanism which is essentially um collecting charging consumers one price uh and funding the gap to what the market price should be uh, uh centrally Uh, And then recovering that cost or that cost could be recovered through general taxation over time or or it could be recovered uh, from consumer bills through through a a funding mechanism, maybe through the state, maybe through the private sector. Um, So there's some ideas around that. Perhaps you'd spread the cost out over, say, 10 years. Um, the, the, The next one is just simply rolling the price cap or cutting the price cap. Without any uh, further intervention, so so letting uh, letting industry uh, the supply industry in particular take take the hit, uh, and then there's a couple of variants of nationalisation. Uh, the first is the complete transfer of the energy retail businesses onto the state uh, balance sheet, um, kind of like a, a mass bulb takeover, although hopefully with a bit more hedging. Um, And then the other one is uh, using the state's balance sheet to purchase collectively uh, the energy required to meet the needs of consumers. So putting in place a kind of state-led single buyer uh, for energy for a period of time, and that buyer transferring the energy to to the different suppliers at Maybe the price purchased, maybe a different price with maybe a uh, a means of funding uh, the gap in between. So I think that's there's half a dozen ideas there put forward from politicians of varying different uh, d- different shades, but but no shortage of ideas uh, for what could be done. They're primarily i think the one thing we would say is that they are primarily focused on the domestic market. And that, that very little really has been said on on the business market, um, which, as as we've already implied, we think is a bit of a uh, is a bit of a gap.
0: Yeah. So, w- which of those do you think is commensurate to the scale of the problem? Because some of them sound like much
1: smaller or targeted interventions than others. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Good, good question. So, so, VAT is five percent. And I guess first thing to say is these are not all mutually exclusive you 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 can do one or more in in combination so in rough orders of of magnitude cutting the vat is is about five percent of the bill so if your bill is two grand as it is at the moment vat for a typical user vat would be about 100 pounds Uh, from the numbers we've done the uh, costs of waiving policy costs. For renewables obligation, feed-in tariff would be about £100 add a few more tens of pounds for the costs of the energy company obligation and the feed-in tariff. Uh, the CFD scheme is actually paying of the order of £30 a year uh, uh, to the consumer at the moment, because the payments back from generators are above strike prices. We've seen the £400 bill uh, rebate uh, uh, tabled earlier with the incremental measures for vulnerable consumers. Just as, 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 as a rule of thumb, there's about 29 million, give or take, um, ha- households paying an electricity bill at the moment. So, you know, e- every £1,000 uh, of relief uh, is give or take £30 billion. Uh, So, you know, if, if you're going to for stall, an increase from 2000 to to, to 4000 uh, that's going to cost you the thick end of £60 billion, pounds, which is more than... Over a year. Over a year. Yeah. So over if it was just year. the winter, for example, it would be $30 billion and... <laughs> well, remember that gas consumption is heavily skewed to the winter mm. and that the... Actually, the, this is all relative, but the biggest increase has been in the price of gas. Yeah. Uh, so you'd probably be somewhere between 30 and, and 60 billion if you were to do that for, for one winter. Of course, the, the question is, will one need to do that again for winters in the future? How long is this situation uh, um, going to, to last? You could um, fund that bill rebate through the tariff deficit mechanism. And recover the costs over over a period of time. I think people are suggesting ten years. Um, uh, again, uh, that would have the effect of getting the benefit now and getting the, the um, and spreading the cost out over over those years in the future. Kind of implicit in that one as well is the idea that this is a is a one off thing, uh, and that. Or too off thing, and that we don't need to keep doing it. But tariff de- deficit mechanisms have been used elsewhere in, in Europe um, uh, in in the past. Hopefully, that's given a bit of a thumbnail of, of some of the options that are open. People are also talking about things like social tariffs, um, but we see those as requiring more time uh, to to implement and and perhaps not being. Readiable for this uh, particular winter. On the flip side, Tom, there's a, there's a lot of things and ideas bubbling around for reshaping. I'm struggling to use the word intervening uh, in uh, in the other side of the market, in the wholesale market. Um, and I was wondering broadly if you could talk us a, a, a little bit about what the potential changes are that we could make there and again the extent to which they, they might be deliverable
0: yeah so in a similar exercise we've counted about four or five interventions and we've done a, a blog as well on, on some of them so you can hear or read a bit more about them there but um because there's relatively little time to go and the wholesale market is very complicated um they're not kind of uh, lots of people talked about REMA so the review of electricity market arrangements but we put that to one side it's got a different point it's kind of designed it's an uh, a review designed to look at what the market might be in 2035 I don't think it's capable of answering anything in the next couple of winters or, or being able to deliver anything so really we kind of have to work within uh as close to the to the system as we've got. So people have talked about things like um, price caps on uh, in the wholesale market. So that's been done, for example, in Spain, in relation to what the price of gas is that can be fed through into the wholesale market. Uh, that could be achieved, but you'd have to be creating some sort of um, money go round where, you know, because the generators say, for example, if you cap the price of gas at two pound a firm, but it's currently at four pound a therm, you'd have to find some way for the people who've paid four pounds a therm to make up the money on the two pounds that they've now lost out. So yeah. you'd have to create some new system there. One of the kind of more exciting ideas, or I think more deliverable ideas is the idea of either a voluntary or mandatory move to um, CFDs. So that's the contracts for difference, which is a kind of existing scheme that um, allows uh, a long-term contract for power to be paid at a certain price. So. Um, it's currently done by competition. So an offshore wind farm says, I want to be paid 50 pounds a megawatt hour for 15 years to provide power. If the wholesale market price goes above that 50 pounds, I pay the government back the difference. If the price falls below the 50 pounds, the government pays me back the difference. And by government, we mean, we mean the low carbon contracts company. Um, so what you could do, for example, is you could either ask for volunteers for generators to move on to that scheme. So um, we could set a price at a reasonable level say 100 you know 100 pounds 150 pounds something like that and um, which is far below the current winter prices and say so if you if you jump jump onto this scheme you have to pay the difference back in the wholesale market price but we'll guarantee you this price and the carrot is that we'll give you this long-term agreement so that you'll always be guaranteed that price for, for a certain time what that time period might be um, whether or not it comes with requirements to invest. So maybe you've got to, you know, at the if it's a three-year term, at the end, you've got to do a refurbishment or a repowering so that that asset can go on for a long time. Um, or, uh, yeah, you, you have to have some sort of um, kind of centralized buyer of that power. So it might be a way of kind of lowering the price. Those generators are now paying back the difference. Essentially, once you put them onto this CFD and then paying that back, you're, insulating them from long-term changes in price but you're also insulating consumers from very high prices right now um so that that might be one uh, option that i feel is kind of is the cfd exists so we might be able to do it um another option could be um removing the wholesale market and moving back to a kind of pool arrangement by focusing all of the activity down into the balancing mechanism, which is the kind of last hour dispatch system used by National Grid. But crucially, that system is based around a payers bid system rather than a pay is clear. So every generator, when they put in I want to be paid fifty pounds, so and the next one puts in sixty pounds, if both of them run, one of them gets paid fifty, the other one gets paid sixty. Whereas in the wholesale market, everything all the prices tend to converge around that marginal pay is clear. So the sixty pounds.
1: So if you is it yeah, is it possible to change the payers clear element to the imbalance calculation that's that that's paid by those that are long or short?
0: No. I I'm not, uh, kind of, I suppose you could, but you'd have to work out how, because if you've not been activated in the BM, what's your pay, what's your bid? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of data isn't captured. You don't know, um, you don't know what a generator who sold out in the wholesale market paid as bid. Okay. That information isn't there in the imbalanced system. Okay. So you would have to have some form of mechanism. So what I'm saying is if you move to everything in the BM, everyone has to bid into the BM. And the BM yeah. already is payers bid. So for yeah. example, a wind farm would say, I want to be turned on at 45 pounds a megawatt hour. Uh, the CCGT would say, well, OK, the cost of my gas is 300 pounds, and I'm going to add on 50 pounds. So I want to be paid 350 pounds. Well, the wind farm would only get paid 50. And the CCGT would get paid 350. So you'd lower the cost there. So instead of both of them getting paid 350, yeah. one would be paid one the other. That would be that would be a huge intervention. but um, you know, the rules are kind of there. You could you could move it without having to, you know, you have to create a new rule book to do it.
1: That you, it would just be a direction that you now, that you now bid in your your yeah. full uh, you contracted might, volume. Yeah, you might also- into, into imbalance.
0: Exactly, yeah. You might also have to um, extend the transmission constraint license condition as well, so that it covers offers as well as bids, mm-hmm. um, which is section 16, for those of you with a generation license, if you want to go look at it. Or I believe off the top of my head.
1: That's just uh, that, that, that's to, that's to um, stop people taking the mick with their uh, offer prices. Because so they're behind a constraint.
0: yeah, it currently only affects you if you're behind a constraint, and it only affects your bids. Yeah. So it could that is one mechanism of forcing generators to put to put in their marginal costs rather than you know trying to bid up to the gas price. Mm-hmm. Um, is if you if you took out the bit about constraints and you added in offers, then yeah. that would cover.
1: Yeah. You know, so, so it would be mandated, mandated cost reflective bill-
0: bidding into bidding, the BM
1: bidding. Yeah. And grid yeah.
0: grid grid then takes on the role of the market and just dispatches everything through the BM. And and every market participant gives bid grid yeah. their information. And the the final one I've heard people talking about is the idea of removing carbon pricing. So there's the GBE uh, the GB emissions trading scheme and the carbon price support scheme. Um, so, carbon prices are about a hundred somewhere somewhere between eighty and a hundred pounds a ton. Yeah. Um, and about CVS.
1: twenty-five quid a me- megawatt hour would it be? I always work on the basis it's about forty percent of the pound price goes through to the megawatt hour.
0: Yeah, pretty much depends on how efficient you are, and it's a bit more. It's a lot more for a coal-fired power station. Yeah. For example, um, and then this the carbon price support is eighteen pounds a ton on top of that. So you about yeah. eight nine pounds a megawatt hour. For that yeah. so that that could be a helpful amount but it, it's still again it's dwarfed by the the underlying gas price yeah. um and and of course you change the the economics of, of power stations that you may not want to change the economics of so yeah there's quite a range of, of those and, and there's different kind of levels of how much those would intervene yeah, i guess you could also have, yeah, yeah you could also have nationalisation again like you had for retail retailers, you could take the generators on.
1: Oh, but that would uh, probably be quite expensive at the moment, I, I, I would imagine. Yes, I'd imagine that um, it wouldn't be cheap. <laughs> um, so when, when you're looking at these options, Tom, what, what factors do you think are important in assessing whether they could be effective?
0: So I think the first off is that there's not a lot of time left um if you want to do something to affect consumer bills this winter so they have to be implementable in a short timeframe. so you've got to look at existing you know uh, we're not going to have time to do consultations and rewrite the rule books um or change it systems change it systems in huge ways and remember how much it costs to stand up the track and trace organization in the pandemic if you're talking about um, creating a new market system, you're talking about a very similar IT spend um, because you're going to need to take lots of people and lots of equipment off from, whatever from, they're doing and from, get them from to do this. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's a significant cost that comes with doing a brand new thing. So it should be read, it should be reasonably implementable in the time that we've got. So it should kind of rely on systems that are either already there, rules that are already there, and that you can tweak relatively effectively.
1: So I think that's key: is what can so the, we do the, within the existing governance framework? Yeah, um, and not just governance, kind of IT systems
0: as well, because yeah. there's only so many um, kind of IT professionals out there. The the industry has been involved in lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of change in the last three or four years. There's IT teams that are kind of doing things. They're doing things like mandatory half hourly settlement. They're doing things like uh, new grid balancing services products um they're doing customer system migrations there's not that many people in the industry that aren't already doing something mm. yeah um so that that has to be factored into your or your thinking of, of what needs to be done then it's the kind of the scale and the effectiveness of that response so for example when you talked about VAT it's not a huge amount of saving for, for what you get it's also not a huge yeah. amount of effort either so might as well. You you could do it, but um, are you losing some money that Treasury might be able to use effectively? Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: And then there's the unanticipated consequences.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you change the way people are bidding into the wholesale market or the way they operate their power stations or effectively? I mean, one of the great points of privatization is that by moving investment into the private sector, you're not getting government distracted. Investing in the
1: energy industry. There is, a, there is a very fine line to be walked here, uh, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, we we have the ambition of a zero power system by 2035. Yeah, zero, zero carbon power system by 2035. Yeah. So that implies that if you got more money wind by 20 need needs to to be spent and all of that money if it, if it's spent on indigenous uh, power production uh, reduces the need to import energy and and reduces what is already a significant strain on the on the balance of payments yeah so yeah we've we've set out a few options there tom haven't we there's 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 no easy choices they're, 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 they're all difficult in their own way, um, and, and and they all, in their own way, have been stimulated by looking at the do nothing option, uh, uh, because the do nothing option appears to be even worse. Who knows what wh- exactly where we will turn out? So uh, the the the. You know, the, the a good contribution to, to the default tariff cap will come from where the wholesale market goes from the end of uh, this month to the end of November. Um, so you know, it, it it may be different to what it looks like now, uh, but then again, it may not. Um, but I, I I think in in this podcast, I think Tom we brought out that there is more to it than just intervening in the to to, to set a new domestic tariff.
0: Yeah, I think um, obviously that's the, the thing that everyone is concerned about because everyone has to pay these bills. But um, we are, there's also significant concerns if you're the government. You know, the overarching picture for the economy is that it's not just households affected its consumers and it's not just the retail market, it's the wholesale market. Um, and there's a narrowing window of action uh, yeah. and various levers that could be pulled.
1: Yeah, I think probably if there's a kind of concluding thought that there are some fundamental views that need to be reached on how enduring this situation of extremely high wholesale energy prices is, is going to be. You know, is it this winter, next winter? Looking back, it was clearly last winter as well. So it's been last winter, it's this winter. How, how many more? years will it roll forward and what the motivation is for intervening uh, and uh, we, we've outlined a few in, in many different sectors of the economy and per- perhaps that's an area where we may see a little bit more clarity uh, once we have a new uh, prime minister in place. This c- concludes what we wanted to talk about, doesn't it Tom? Yes. We hope people have found it a useful listen
0: Yeah. And if you want to, we're we're very happy to talk about any of the ideas that we've mentioned here. Um, And if you want to talk to us about our research, please feel free to contact us. Uh, You can follow what we do at Cornwall Insight on Twitter. Um, We're also on LinkedIn. I I am at Notional Grid on Twitter. uh,
1: And if you don't follow Mr Notional Grid, you surely should.
0: You, you can also uh, see my other podcast, which is on market design, which is the, um, you can that, find that at, at Substation Podcast on Twitter uh, or on wherever you've listened to podcasts. And of course, you, know, you can always contact us via our website, on yeah. the Cornwall Insight website or emailing us.
1: Much of what we've said about the business market today has come from research we're doing for an Insight paper, which we hope to share around the market at the uh, turn of uh, August and September so do keep an eye out for that and you will also see we will begin to say a bit more about the options and direction of travel for the review of electricity market arrangements REMA, uh, as uh, September turns into October so yeah do keep in touch we hope you found this interesting and we look forward to talking to you again soon